0: Think critically, right, wrong, or indifferent. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yokum, and producer Marcus Sawson behind the scenes. This quote leads us to our guest today, Zach Higginbotham. Zach is an assistant strength conditioning coach at the University of Old Miss, where he works primarily with return-to-play athletes. And in this podcast, he t- really takes us down the rabbit hole of the return to play approach, how he goes about it, how we are kind of getting it wrong in the field and what we really need to be focusing on with these athletes. He has a really cool dive into the whole philosophical approach and whole principle approach to the return to play approach how to make sure everybody's on the same page how to make sure these athletes aren't getting stuck in the kind of darkness and the dark cage that a lot of these athletes get stuck in you have the strength coach that needs to work with the athletes that are healthy so we win games you have the sport coach in the same regard and these athletes are kind of just in the middle ground and a lot of times are getting segregated and he talks about the psychological damage that has on the athletes and how we can go about really helping these athletes. And it was, it was such an awesome talk and lots to grab from the overarching principles. And that, that that's something that he mentions multiple times on this podcast. He, he never so much specific exercises, never so much specific volumes, although he mentions those are important. He mentions the KPIs. He mentions having steps and objective things to measure. But he keeps it all principles based. He, he he keeps it holistic. He makes sure we're not getting too far into the weeds and missing the bigger picture of what we are working with—the the human athlete that is injured in front of us that wants to get back onto the field. How can we take a step by step approach to getting them ready? It's a really awesome podcast. I got a lot of notes and a lot of follow up people that I really want to kind of dive into. That coach kind of talked about and exposed me to. So really looking forward to diving into this return to play rabbit hole and. How he goes about it before we hit the intro music i wanted to introduce to you guys the yokum strength insider the Yoakum strength insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers our goal with the yokum strength insider is to create better movers to level up your life and to move forward from where you are we do this in a holistic fashion not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakam Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines. That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Marcus, you know what time it is. Hit that intro music. Boom. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high performance really is. All right, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here.
1: It's uh, it's good to be on. I appreciate you having me, and uh, I look, kind of look forward to doing this with you, man.
0: Yeah. So you were recommended a couple of times by previous podcast guests and the kind of the podcast network, which is kind of cool. And I got to look at a couple of your posts and a lot of interesting stuff there, but we kind of like to start the podcast off diving into your background. So you're kind of at a point where a lot of strength coaches would love to be in. You're coaching at a big time division one school. Can you kind of tell us your background, how you got into the world of sports performance, how you navigated the world of sports performances is crazy. Anybody that's in the field knows how hard it is to get to kind of where you're at and some of the, the philosophies that you picked up along the way and what your journey's like.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Well I mean it kind of started early on for me, even like going back to like high school, uh it's kind of finding a f- Kind of falling in love, or finding, finding, kind of training different ideas, different things like that. that uh, kind of ended up going to like a larger private Catholic school to play football. We had strength conditioning. I had strength coach then. Uh, then I moved across the city. Uh, we ended up going to a smaller private school, and we didn't have have that. And I needed to train. Uh, I think I froze up a little bit. There we go. Uh, I apologize about that. And then I went to, I went to a smaller private school and I moved across the city and I didn't have a strength coach and therefore I had to kind of had to trial and error, kind of trying to figure out how to train myself. Uh, probably messed up a lot of, a lot along the way. And, you know, just kind of fell over the process a little bit. And then from there I went to college and I played division one football for five years. I played at the university of Cincinnati and then I transferred, in, uh, back home towards, uh, back home towards West Virginia and played at Marshall university and, uh, Played there, you know. I was hurt a ton. Uh, I was hurt a ton. Missed a lot of time. I was always kind of in the return to play role myself as an athlete, and spent a lot of time with my strength coaches. I had a good strength coach and kind of in my corner uh, in terms of who I really leaned on as a person and professional and things like that. And you know, for me, that was kind of like my first exposure. And then from there, the writing was kind of on the wall. I was an undersized. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm get that Mississippi Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> undersized. Under yeah. Underdeveloped, you know, like a little bit of a lower ceiling of potential than a lot of other guys. So the ride was kind of on the wall, so to speak. So I knew I wasn't going to get paid to play. So I knew kind of early on that I needed to figure out the either work out of work in a cubicle and day trade in the stock market or do something else that wasn't playing football. So I started interning. Uh, pretty early in my career. So towards the back end of my career, I was playing and interning at the same time uh, with our strength staff, between our football staff and our Olympic staff. And as soon as I finished playing, I uh, immediately got got into the field. I went to Ohio State. Uh, from there, I was at the University of Nevada for a little while. Then from there, I was uh, the assistant director at Lucy Monroe. Uh, from there, I went to Colorado State University for a little while. Uh, then after that, i'll uh, see where where I go after that. I was the associate I was the associate head strength coach at Fort Atlantic, and then I came here. So I'm kind of all
0: right. We lost you for a little bit there. You said you said in backwoods uh, Wi Fi, so we're, we're connected back. You you were just starting to talk about kind of where you're at now in in the field and and how you got there, and you just finished up that journey of how you got to where you're at today.
1: Yeah. So for me, you know, uh, I got I got I got to Ole Miss here in January. uh, Got here and just, you know, um, I'm still kind of relatively new, new in the profession a little bit. Kind of got really lucky. Been around the right people at the right time. Um had some good mentors along the way, good situations where I played at, who I played for kind of helped me out and kind of expedited my process. So like, realistically, I've just, I've been more lucky than right. So I, I can't sit here and say that I have the magic answers to where I want to go and of how to get there, so to speak, and how to kind of build a map. I would just say, you know, kind of roll the dice a few times and, you know, try to be more, right, be more right than wrong. Try to avoid catastrophic failure, uh, And that's kind of like, that's kind of, that's kind of my plan. So that's kind of where I've been at in a nutshell, kind of my, kind of my path so far.
0: Yeah. And something I'm interested in diving in with you then is we have a lot of young strength coaches that listen to this podcast and you mentioned a ton of moves there, like, like from college to college, to college, to college, a ton of moves. How did you kind of go about that moving process in the sense of like, when did you know, all right, it's time to take that next step. It's time to take that kind of next leap. All right, this is the next direction. Did you have something like an angle in mind and you're like, each point's going to get me closer or is it just like kind of the, like it just felt right in the moment? How did you kind of go about that, navigating that process? Because I know a lot of young strength coaches are in the similar boat of like asking when they should take that next step. What What's the right direction?
1: Yeah, you know, that's, it's an interesting topic because, you know, there's probably half the people that would want to talk about, talk about me or look at my resume that want to kind of, that don't actually know me or know my process or kind of what I've been through and uh, subjectively would probably say they might call me a job hopper or things like that or whatever. So be there, there might be other, the other half might understand it once they understand the context, things like that. So it's, it's percep perception is reality sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's and really looking about it thinking about it. It's, one for me is every every step and every decision I tried to make uh, in terms of, kind of my path, all tried to kind of line up with what my end goal was in terms of where I wanted to go, where I was at currently uh, and things like that. So for me, um, a good friend of mine, Kieran Flat, always talked to me about here recently in the last two to three years and looking back on it, I, I didn't realize I was doing this, but kind of how I measure, or at least I try to think about my jobs or maneuver things, are the four pieces for me Or purpose pay professional development and personal life and where does where does my job end up where does my job where do i align and where does my current situation all line up into all those four things and for me it's what is important in my life at the moment What is important and where i need to go professionally and my current status or current job how does it line up with those four things in terms of like purpose like the job you're at, the job you're at now, like how intrinsically or personally motivated do you feel when you show up to the office and Monday morning at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. So be it, whenever it is, and how much internal drive do you feel? one to help others improve and be be the best version of yourself? You know, you don't gotta. Uh, I was just talking to Al Miller, a mentor of mine, uh, maybe two hours ago, and he was just talking to me on the phone. Is you don't gotta, you don't gotta ring the bell and be on the bullseye every single day, but you, you you gotta you gotta try to be pretty damn close every single day. Uh, and then you look at just even just when you look at that then you look at pay Like you should attempt to be whatever your value is. You should try to be compensated as close as you can to be your, your value or your worth. Right. And then when you look at even just career development, like right your current status, the university you're at or job, just not even just strength coaches, but anywhere. And you look at it as a job, you know how much progression as a person can, when you're at that company team organization, how, how much can this job or this role increase or progress or allow me to move up at the ladder? Right. Or is like the said job that I'm at, like, is there a ceiling on it? Right. Is there like, how close to my ceiling? Like you just it's sometimes it's a kind of a gut feeling or situational awareness to kind of know what's going on in terms of the people around you, the experiences, the things like that. And then, is personal life, you know, we can't always, as a profession, there's like this badge of honor that desk guarding. you know, I worked 60, 70 hours, 60, 70, 80 hours this week, and people wear it as like a badge of honor that I worked really hard, but the reality is you look at their productivity, their actual ability to drive performance in athletes is like largely little to none, but they worked really hard they tried really hard and they kind of wear that badge of honor saying they did what they did, they did what they had to do and things like that. And you know, sometimes these people rather lose lose with pride than actually do what's needed to win. And I think that's like personally, and I don't want to say that in a bad way, but that's kind of what's a problem with our profession. So and a lot of other professions too, it's just you know, do what's needed when it's needed, how it's supposed to be needed to, it, the, that time of time. You got to do anything more, you don't got to do anything less. Like how much do we need, need to do to drive performance and win, win games as an organization, not even just performance-wise. In terms for me, like job choice, you know, it just worked out to me, uh, just kind of how I moved up and moved along. It's uh you know, it was trying to align myself in situations where I could get closer and closer to my end goal at the time. Uh, Sometimes that's a moving target as we move through our careers and our progressions, you know, as we grow and learn different things. So at least in that current status and current rate of where I was and in the role, what was my end goal? What was I trying to move to in my current situation? How did it align with those four Ps? And ultimately, how did progress me to my end goal of where I wanted to be with my goals. And, you know, so it just kind of worked out where I was in situations where it was either time for me to move on or there was, it was a time for me to move on because of somewhere in those four Ps or it was just a simple fact that the opportunity that was presented to me was better than the current one. I was at other places where there's probably a bit of a ceiling uh, where I was at and if that, if that makes sense. And it was just kind of trying to align myself. And like I said, I just, I think I just got really lucky. And, you know, I, I look at the profession as a whole. I think there's subjectively, I think there's two different ways you can kind of look at the profession. You get guys who get really lucky. Um, that kind of get into situations where there's a larger ceiling on the, and the current role they're at, and they kind of gets, they get to one or two places on the career and they able to grow and stay there for a few years. And then you get other guys, especially in football because of the nature of college football, they just kind of bounce around and keep moving up because of, you know, some of these, some of these schools, realistically, if you don't win in two years you're out. So, and, you know, and so the, that's the other problem is sometimes strength coaches are, as a whole are too attached to sport coaches in terms of wins and losses. And there's a large, there's a large argument to be had on like how much do we ef- truly affect winning games?
0: Yeah, well, coach, I think that's super powerful because that's something the the, the four P's that you mentioned, I feel like are just not talked about in our field at all when 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 you're going through the the entire journey like you learn all the sets and reps and you learn all the like philosophies which is great like you have to have you have to be able to provide some value you have to have some knowledge like you need to develop that side of it but it's so many strength coaches myself included when i got into the field it's like that there's there's no layouts and mapping of those four P's to know where you're supposed to go to know. And it's not that it's going to answer that, but at least you have some sort of direction uh, to make sure you're not being taken advantage of Kira. You, you mentioned Kier, but he talks about kind of the ability to work on the system and not so much in it. And that was something that I thought was super powerful too. It's like, how are you going to set yourself up to grow as a coach? That, that, that's one thing you see in the college sector is one, they're not being recorded or rewarded to grow as a coach. It's, it's the same pay. It's the same setup. They're underpaid overworked uh, and you're never going to work on the same system and then you get the entire like kind of same cogs and the same program rolling rather than being rewarded for that that's something that the private sector i think really allows you to be able to do is like when you become a better coach you're rewarded for that in a sense of when you become a better coach you get more clients You, you know because if you're not a better coach or better at marketing i guess you could have that end of it too but in some regard when when you become better when you level yourself up as a coach you're rewarded for it and in the college sector is that the case? And that's where laying out those four P's setting it up to where you are driven as a coach to become a better coach. You are driven. And it's like that balance of developing yourself and setting yourself up for personal gain. So it also sets the team up for personal gain because it's like that, that setup where the coach is talking about the 70 hours of 70 hours in the grind. And it's like, he's not really enjoying that job. And if he's not really enjoying it, he doesn't feel value. Then the athletes aren't going to get the most out of that person as they could. And I think finding that balance and talk and just talking about that balance with coaches like yourself, I guess super important for our field to kind of move in the right direction forward rather than trying to be that desk guarded, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I'm not and when I say that, I don't want to shy away from the reality that there are a lot of times a lot of days and weeks where I I, I personally I speak for myself again, it's not as a brag or pat on the ass or anything like that. I worked a lot of hours and you know, I did a lot of work and you know, it's just that's the reality. Sometimes you gotta do what's needed to be done. There's gonna be days where you might need to put a twelve hour day and there might be days. Sorry.
0: Can you, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't lose either.
1: I thought I, I thought I put my phone on thing. Uh, I think somebody called me. Oh, gotcha. uh, yeah. All good. So anyway, I was kind of picked back up. Yeah. So like when I look, yeah. So like when I look at that problem, I think there's, you know, when you look at it, the reality is that sometimes like people's lives and how we work and that kind of how the flow of our daily lives is kind of like almost like periodization and training is like, agile, so to speak, is, you know, Maladin's kind of book and phrase of agile periodization is kind of a hot same thing with like reverse engineering world and all that other stuff. But, and I think people's lives work a lot the same way. And that's something else I've taken from Kier and uh, Nick DeMarco and some other people that I've really thought about it and it's kind of made sense to me is uh, you know, there's going to be times where you got to kind of do what's needed. And like I said earlier, like you're going to have to work 12 hours, 10 hours, 14 hours, you might have to give up your weekend to do some stuff. But the reality is like there's going to be times when you got to kind of know when to hit the reset, the pause button and kind of veg out and relax. And, you know, like you can't kind of put your foot on the gas, so to speak, just from a personal aspect for mental health and things like that, because you got to be at your best for your athletes. Same thing. You got to kind of know how to periodize your life, so to speak. And that's, Something even like I myself have a hard time doing and it's kind of knowing when to push and pull in terms of when to work and when not to work and know what, what's needed to be done. So when I, I don't mean to kind of ramble on, but that's kind of that's kind of how I look at it personally. Uh, so it's just it's it, there's a given realistically just a, to make it simple, there's a give and take.
0: And setting your life up, like we, so many people have mentioned it, but it's like you said, like the the high, low model of your life, the high, low model of your day, just to where you're, uh, we talk on the podcast a lot with coaches. It's like a lot of people are sitting at like a constant seven, you know, like it's, it's a seven, uh, like. They, they're never really going to the 10 because they, they don't have enough gas left in the tank to go to the 10 because they never really drop down to the zero. So they kind of sit at this like mediocre ish seven, whereas like coaches I got when I do talk to Nick DeMarco, I, I love him. He huge inspiration to me. He, he talks about like basically being able to like set his life up to where he's going, being able to go down to that zero in a sense of relaxing with his kids. Um, not living his whole life connected as a coach. He talks about how he's a family, like a husband and father first, you know? So like being able to go down to the zero and relax and have something else. So like you said, when the athlete comes in, he's able to come back up to the 10 and being all right with that and setting your life up in a sense of, and this is something that I've had to work on horribly. Uh, I don't know about horribly, but like the type one a mentality of like you never want to take that break you know like it's like every strength coach ever the reason we're strength coaches because we enjoyed that kind of like workhorse mentality we enjoyed like being rewarded for that in a sense and then now it's like you you have to set your life up in a sense of not doing that so you don't burn out in three years and leave the field
1: no yeah I- I- so, and, uh, absolutely. Not, I agree completely. And, you know, I'm not like I'm not going to preach and make it sound like I'm perfect because I'm not. That's something I have to work on because I have a little bit of a busy bee personality as, as a whole. But that was something early on I kind of made a choice for myself that I would I would rather do it now early on to kind of set myself up to kind of get in a situation when I need to pull back and I need to do these other things. I'd rather have the ability to do it and not feel kind of remorseful about it. Uh, because I'm kind of missing out and not get done what needs to get done. I'd rather do a lot of the work, the harder work at the front. And so to speak in my career, things like that. So I can kind of lean, lean on my foundation, so to speak, later on, if that makes sense. And I don't, I don't, I don't don't want to, I don't want to come off as complacent. I just, you know, for me, like I don't have a wife, I don't have kids. uh, I don't have, I don't have a lot of real uh, attachments holding me back uh, professionally or personally. So for me, it's just, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm able to kind of invest more time in my work, and for a few years there, for me, that was kind of like my priority. And then, as you know, as we're, as I've personally progressed in my life, there's was, there was kind of it's kind of a sliding scale, so to speak. So, you know that, and again, like it's a, there's a give and take with every, you know. So that's just kind of how I look at it personally.
0: And with this kind of winding journey, and I love talking to coaches like yourself, where the, you, you have a lot of pieces to grab from a lot of philosophies that I'm sure you were exposed to some probably good, some probably bad, but you've seen a lot in your career. How are you tying all of those philosophies and all the things that you've seen into your program and your philosophy? What is kind of your philosophy on sports performance? How do you approach training your teams holistically? Kind of, what are you looking for as a sport coach? If you were to lay it out in five minutes?
1: For me, it's, it's, it's being principle based, you know, I, I, for me, the biggest thing is, is I have worked for a lot of people. I have seen a lot of different stuff. I've seen a lot of different styles, right, wrong, bad or indifferent. Uh, it's being able to take what we do at the end of the day, put it into a f- five second nutshell, one one sentence, three to four words and like. What what is the demand of the sport? What is the demand of the specific task? Right, and then how, what are our like what is what is our needs analysis? What are the, what are the risk factors? What are what are our constraints? And then how do we go about training that based on our around our principles to fix those things? Right, do it like bigger, faster, stronger, whatever, what, what whatever it is to provide the ability to for our players to sustain practice, decrease what, what, whatever it is. It's having set principles. That we want to guide, that, that we want to use to guide us to develop, to develop our develop our process to get to our end goals, so to speak. So for me, it's like once once you have principles of what you want to achieve, and you can kind of work backwards or really work forward of what, so to speak, however you want to look at it, to to progress to our end goal. In terms of philosophy, that's how I looked at. It. I'm not personally, I'm not married to any specific exercises. I'm married not married to any type of method. It's for me. Is what is what is it going to push us forward to the closest Closest we can get to the end goal without avoiding like catastrophic ruin, uh, whether it's Olympic lifts, sprinting, resistance sprints, no Olympic lifting, ballistic, APRE uh, reps in reserve, what VBT, whatever, whatever the hell it is, like what what is going to give us our highest return on investment and avoid catastrophic failure.
0: And when you're working, so in your Instagram, you see I see like hundreds of athletes on the field with you. How are you applying those principles? And I'm in a similar situation where you you have a coach and it's like the entire football team. And I'm always interested in how you apply those principles and the multiple different ways, thousands of different ways to skin the cat to the athlete. So let's say one athlete's great, can do Olympic lifts and one athlete maybe doesn't enjoy them. Do you you work on making sure we keep the, uh, in the sense of keeping the goal the goal with the athlete specifically? How are you going about working with all those athletes and applying your principles holistically with with these athletes, with with the entire team. Cause I think that's something that like a lot of private sector guys don't get to see is like working with that massive amount of group.
1: Yeah, I I think looking at it, and again, this these aren't my own original thoughts. This is this is just things I've learned. It has helped me make things I don't want anybody to think that like I'm an like an inventor of any methods or whatever. Like I've just been lucky enough to fail enough times and be wrong enough times and be ignorant enough to kind of know, ignorant enough to know I need help and things like that. And other people I've learned and realized that you have to be able, you have to be able to look at your prior knowledge, your prior experience and create a frame, framework or foundational level of experience to, to problem solving, to critically think about the current situation and and to be able to kind of Debunk any crossroads of problems and kind of booby traps and things like that, that would hold that would hold you back. And the farther, the farther, the farther you're away from the end goal, the, the less amount, the least amount of knowledge you have, the less, excuse me, the lesser amount of knowledge of, of prior experience and foundational framework to know what's going on, you have, the less effort—I don't want to say effort, but the, le- the least amount of com- the lesser amount of complexity you can bring to the situation, and things like that. To build your plan because what's going to happen if you is if you again like same thing with the training program you throw too complex of situations exercises too soon you're not going to know what's going to work you're not going to know what your first order effects second order effects tertiary effects are of the program and what is actually improving the athlete driving performance and what's not because there's too many factors there's too many variables too it's too complex of a system so the less planning and and less energy you're putting into the beginning process due to time due to time constraints and things like that, prior knowledge, the better off you're going to be able to be once you gain experience and prior knowledge early on in the process. And it's going to allow you to adapt as you go through the program to go through the process. And it's going to give you wiggle room to progress incrementally within the system. So now the system is becoming more complex. Now as the system becomes more complex, it becomes more robust, so to speak, and all these other concepts, it allows you to kind of adapt on the fly, so to speak, and gives you room to grow. Uh, so in terms of an athlete's athletes, that's when, especially when you got to look at, again, like prior knowledge, it goes back to your constraints and things like that. So I don't, I don't mean to keep it on, keep it too long and too winded, but for me starting off, that's, that's how you're going to look at it
0: and one of the things like and i was sent a couple of your posts when people were trying to get me to get you on the podcast and the big thing that they were sending me was your return to play approach and this is something that i think i'm really interested in because you don't see a ton of coaches really post the return to play it's all like kind of the hype videos and the cool stuff to post Uh, but you you posted a lot of really good stuff about return to play and i'm interested in how would that is different than sports performance world what you are looking for in this return to play approach and kind of how we are missing the boats. I would say usually if, if you're looking at a traditional program, how we are missing the boat in the sense of the return to play. Are we, we throwing them out too early? Are we really not? Are we we babying the injury too much? I saw a lot of like a really cool stuff where you you're loading that thing like intense. Like it, it looks like a sports performance program and you're working with the return to play, whereas some return to play programs, it looks like they're doing like a, a banded ankle exercise, you know, like for three sets of 10, where you're you're loading the stimulus. So I'm interested in that interested in hearing what your return to play approach is and then diving into that rabbit hole with you.
1: Yeah. So when it comes to return to play, you know, again, like I don't have all the answers. I've been more often wrong than right. And then six months, three months down the road, I've done something to be completely wrong. And you know what? That's not a bad thing to look at and be able to say honestly because it means you're improving and critically thinking. And I think that's the biggest piece you have to have with return to plays. You have to be, you have to be able to critically think about your situation and again, prior, prior knowledge and experience of the situation around you and possible kind of constraints and booby traps you're going to see along the process. And I think that goes, I think that goes into understanding the injury, understanding the process and truly understanding all variables of the training, uh, and realistically, how I look at it and how I was trained early on and, you know, kind of like my background and mentors and things like that. People I've learned from the most, you know, like Johnny Parker, Al Miller, Rob Pinarello, uh, Al Mill. And there's a lot of other people I can kind of pull from that I've really learned from. And uh, some others kind of here recently that I've looked that I've kind of looked to for guidance and mentorship. Uh, it's really it's training. It's 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 a regressed version of training. So if you look at like my biggest, easiest concept that I look at return to play is I look at Alvin Mill's hierarchy of athletic development. And then basically you just add a bigger, a larger foundational piece to it again to the work capacity phase, things like that, where now it's just general foundational movements. And again, you're just, it's still training. You're just working. Your beginning state is a little more regressed and then the path to healing, the path to return to performance, return to play, whatever, whatever the hell as a label you give it, the end goal is still the same. You, you look at the process, like what are the, what are the largest issues with return to play? It's, a siloed approach between the department where everybody it's ad hoc. There's no communication. Everybody's doing what they want to do. Uh, you know, as like, and you think about like a true, like medical model, or not even a return to play. Like as like a surgeon, you think about one hand doesn't move without, without knowing what the other hand is doing is so everybody's got to, everybody's got to be synced up. There's got to be a harmony. There's got to be cohesiveness. Just like, for example, early stage kid If you know, if my ATs are, are doing a really good job and they do, you know, they're not, spending a lot of time on the table and they're aggressive in their side of things. And they're doing a a lot of auxiliary work with a kid, you know, then I, I can't, there's gotta be a give and take. I I got to hit the kid with the meat and potatoes and get out, get out the door, you know, and then the other thing is you look at like risk management of the athlete, you know, kind of look at it like Nassim Talib's like, uh, barbell strategy. What is what can I do to, to get the most consistent gains over time, incremental, incremental gains? And I don't have to I don't have to score big on every every time I, I, I put a little bit in stock, the, the stock and a little bit of the investment. I just gotta have to make. Incremental advances in my process every single day, every single every single session, and just consistently stack little wins and keep a trace of everything going to like vertical integration and things like that. Just keep a trace of everything and at all times. And again, just in a regressed state and progressing and progressing it to the end goal. of what are the what are the needs and looking at like what are the biggest issues to kind of get into it that I see is people again going back to the beginning is aren't critically thinking about their current situation like. For example, like, am I the director of my program? Am I facilitating all performance needs? Okay, from there, what are what are our f- philosophical situ- philosophical situ- uh, principles of the program? Like, what, what do I have to pre- prepare the kids for training? Are we an Olympic heavy Olympic lifting team? Uh, do we a lot of do we trap bar jump? Do we barbell jump? Do we not do any plyometric work? Are we a high volume training program? Are we a sprint heavy program? Do we not do any of that? Do we. As, of, as a staff or from a sports performance or excuse me from a sport related issue like do or do our coaches have a good understanding of reintegration in, in a practice do they follow a, a tactical periodization model do we have a say so in the true or do we have to immediately prepare the kid for a worst case scenario uh do my trainers, do my trainers do a good job? How much of the prior knowledge do my do my trainers have? Do I have a physio DPT on staff to have that kind of in-between performance and in medical staff? Because I, I truly think that there's a big gap between strength coaches running a return to play because they don't understand, most of them don't truly understand the mechanisms of the injury because they just understand the barbell sets and reps of periodization. And even that's questionable. And you look at trainers that are running a sports science and things like that, and their background isn't heavily invested and allotted to actual performance training. That's just not their background and, and time constraints the way a lot of these professions are set up. It's not a that's not a lack of want to. It's the ability of working within a system where they can't spend the time out of it. Again, like you mentioned earlier, to fix the system, to improve the system, to widen the box to thinking, so to speak. Uh, so I think those are the biggest issues, issues I see. And I like in terms of a lack of and going to kind of end up that kind of part of the process is Reality, no matter what I want to do with the kid is what do I have to prepare him for? And I need, I need to be able to confidently walk into a room with a staff and say, this kid is prepared for the worst case scenario of the given situation. So therefore for me, what are the constraints of again, of that worst possible situation I have to prepare the kid for. And then I need to be able to take that kid there in a controlled environment with me before he ever gets there or she gets there with said coach, said strength coach, Uh, said situation whether it's drill practice a team training session so be it I, I think you, I think a lot of coaches are doing a disservice to, to, to kids where it's like, you know what, like, cool, you completed a modified team session or, you know what, we have squats today, so you're going to go over to the uh, MVP shuttle and do some squats for a couple of weeks, and you know what, cool, you're cleared by the trainers. You know what, get back in there. The team's got Hatfield field super-maximal half-field squats, and you haven't put a bar on your back in two months or four weeks, and now you're going to do 102% of your max or whatever. It's like I'm just using an example, but I think that's the biggest mistake we see. As there's and and there's well, and to go off of that, the biggest my the biggest change I've made is there needs to be an objective marker for each stage of the return to play. And that's something I've worked on for the last two years trying to improve and set is there can't like, yes, and a lot of uh, if you talk to like alvin Mill and the guys that kind of worked on the if you've read the system, things like that, they're referred to as like the eye of the kosher, subjective tests, which is important. Like usually. I don't always need a Tendo unit to to tell me the bar is moving fast. Like it should confirm what I see. Like subjectively, I should be able to understand what's going on. But the objective marker should confirm that because reality is, is you can see one thing, but objectively, like you're wrong. And you need to be able to see that. So can we objectively qualify that this kid is ready or not ready to, Exit each stage and enter a return to performance uh, model back in, the, back in the sport, back in the practice, back in the team training. I think that's the biggest issue, uh, especially when it comes to like, uh, hamstrings, so to speak, like but I think that's the biggest issue.
0: Well, and I think, Coach, there's so many good principles there that, I mean, that's not even return to play principles almost. Like, if we approach sports performance, you know, or the entire realm of football, let's say it's football preparation in that way, we'd probably eliminate a lot of the need for a return to play. You know, like we'd eliminate a lot of the injuries in the first place if we were taking account everybody being on the same page, making sure the athletes don't get lost in the shuffle, making sure we're tracking some of the volume and the the objective markers that you're talking about. I think that that overarching philosophy is is super important. I'm interested, what specifically, like, is, is the return to play your uh, job title in a sense, like how are you guys approaching it? Cause it seems like you are doing a really nice job of, in a sense, being that middleman between the athletic trainers and the sport coaches. And now you are the sport coach that is working in that return to play setting. Is that like, how are you, how do you guys have that set up for other coaches that are listening to where that athlete isn't getting lost in the shuffle, you know, like, so it's where it's not there isn't that missing step. I feel like that's what you're kind of stepping in. It, was that just you doing that? Like you decided to step in and be like, hey, we're missing this middleman. I'm going to step in. Or how how do you guys have that kind of set up to where other colleges can, I don't want to say copy it, but it, I, I feel like that is a missing piece. How How can we kind of fix that missing piece aspect of it?
1: Um, you know what? It started off early on in my career. It was just, you know, I think a lot of schools, the old method was is there was one coach It was just kind of assigned this general area, like, hey, you're going to train the modified guys today. You know what? Uh, like, keep plan B or the modified session as close to plan A as possible. So they're just kind of innately like uh acutely trained to kind of handle the process day to day and kind of make small modifications to get to get get that kid back. Almost I don't want to say this negatively, but in a lot of areas it is negative, where it's just kind of glorified babysitting. Um and right or wrong, some situations that's kind of what has to be has to be done. And depending on the injury, that's you know might be the best way to go, depending on how our acute or chronic injury may be in terms of a timeline. But I think I would say this in terms of saying like how we do it, and I'll kind of preface the kind of the outline of how we have a set up here. Uh, I, I think as a coach, if I was recommending like the process or developing a process for your department, I think you have to honestly ask yourself and critically think about as a coach, like what is my current situation? Uh, do, do we have a role set up here? Do we have a philosophy? Do we have a process as a department set up? What are, who's involved, who isn't involved, what, again, looking at the prior knowledge and experience of the situation and then asking myself, what can we do to make it better based off the prior experiences and knowledge? So like for me, like anytime I've taken a new role, most of the time, most of the time, early in my career was kind of handed to me, but now, But now it's, you know, a lot of these jobs I've been hired for, it's just, you know, that's what one of the one or two things, mainly the main thing I've been hired for uh, is to handle this role. And I wouldn't say because I've had some good bosses and some other some other great ones and some other ones in between and things like that uh, were they've done this as a good job as a whole and or some haven't, haven't had it because of availability, things like that. And they needed somebody. I think the biggest thing is you got to, again, look at your program's training process and you got to look at your, your athletic training department, sports medicine department and look at where's the middle ground currently. Is there a communication piece? Is there a ad, is it more ad hoc? Or is it extremely focused with holistic in terms of development? Uh, you know, and you got to, and you also got to look at the capacity of your sports medicine staff. Like, what are they able to handle? What are they not able to handle? Traditionally, what what are what are they used to doing? What are what are their methods? What are their principles? What is the entire sports performance department's principles? If you have uh, nutritionist, if you have a registered dietitian, if you have sports psychologists, if you have trainers, if you have DPTs, if you have strength coaches are versed in this area, in this realm, then uh, you got to kind of look at it that way. And then from there, is you have to Early on, I would say you have to kind of get in where you fit in unless you have the power. Uh, And most of the time in the collegiate section, you're not going to. Uh, How much influence do you have to kind of set up the best practice or emergent practice principles of to get the setting where you want? So when I look at it is early on, it's, it's building trust and communication, especially as a strength coach with your sports medicine department to create a line of back and forth and give and take and communication for the kid. Because that's going to be the best situation possible. And early on, like it's for when I come into a role, it's never perfect in return to play. It's never perfect. It, it, it's a, there's a learning curve. Just it's a lot. It's a lot like dating. You got to kind of figure out. You got to kind of figure out each other, learn and learn and build a foundation and build a trust and you kind of earn some respect and trust from your sports medicine department and your your boss if you're an assistant or whoever it is, so to speak. And then you guys got to kind of educate each other in the gaps of knowledge you you, you have together. And then from there, you just got to kind of build a framework. It, it fits your principles and your your constraints.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, coach. And now we, we talked about the physical side and, and setting that all up, but you are working with a ton of injured athletes in this return to play approach. How are, how are you kind of dealing with the psychological side of that, both as a coach and then also for that athlete? Is it... I know you mentioned giving them objective goals and objective steps. Is is that the big piece of it to where they can really feel like that progress is moving forward? I Is it also just like you are actually taking the time to have them return to play rather than them being lost in that middle ground. How do you approach that psychological side of it? So the athlete feels like, Hey, I'm making steps forward. And even though I'm injured, like th- th- there's a light at the end of the tunnel, because that injury route, man, you, you hear a lot of like, you hear a lot of dark stories of athletes that get injured and man, they get lost in the wash of, there's really not anybody that's helping them or nothing's really working. Like how, how are you working with that psychological piece?
1: Uh, the, the, the reality is, is, you know, uh, Again, you you have to if you if you're gonna kind of follow this this kind of area, this, some of these principles, you have to have somebody who's fully invested in it. It's going to put a lot of time in it. And I'll be honest, when it comes to kind of taking taking care of this area, to me personally, to do it the right way, there's a lot of time spent into it. There's a lot of things that, you know, in a, in a in a full team aspect, you might write a block, you might write a two week cycle or annual plan and you might update it and kind of check on it every couple of weeks or every couple of days and kind of tweak some things here and there, just as you see things and be kind of agile, so to speak. But with return to play, it's extremely more fluid and to do it correctly. There's a give and take and sliding scale, even hourly, with the kids. And you have to show a vested interest, show a vested interest and be able to prove to them that you're competent enough to one, to handle their issues. And then two, you have to care enough to as a personal level in terms of psychological development and just even just awareness with the kid in terms of a coach the kids I've ever been closest to uh just and this is just part, partly based off just my own personal personality and just kind of uh personal constraints is my, my closest relationships and my ability to connect with kids is usually at best in the return to play setting because you end up spending spending so much time with these kids in small group settings or a lot of times in one-on-one settings and you know, a lot of the times you spend, especially in my se- uh, sector of work, you end up spending a lot of one-on-one time with these kids for a while and just through the hours and things like that. And there's a lot of informal conversations with these kids to where you end up borderline becoming friends with the kid as long as one of you isn't, a, excuse my language, isn't an asshole. And you. And to be honest with these kids, when you look at it, most of the time, these kids usually get... Put in like this, this cage of like darkness is as it within the program with the staff, where the head strength coach, the PTs, sport coaches, almost kind of like throw these kids to the wayside, not on purposely, but the, in order to kind of keep their jobs, they have to worry about the guys that are available to keep winning games. So these kids kind of get lost in this like purgatory of gray area, and they feel alone, and they feel kind of segregated and isolated, and. A lot of these guys where I've worked for bosses where, hey, you're not allowed to train return play guys in a team session. You have to train them in small sessions in the afternoons or whatever. And then I've been at places where I was on the floor for 10, 12 hours a day, again, working in the system because my boss wouldn't let me train guys in the main session. Okay, cool. Is there a time and place where guys need to be isolated because they need to be in a more controlled, safe environment? The personnel will allow that. But I would argue that if you're able to handle that constraints wise with your staff, these guys need to be in meetings. They need to be around their teammates. They need to be in the locker room. They need to be around their coaches. They need to feel as normal as possible throughout the process at, as a person, just as a, as a team functioning member of the organization and team to, to continue to keep some complacency in their own lives. Like even when you look at it, like, they're, like these guys are going – These guys are going from being potentially a star player, a walk-on who's who's in the locker room every day fighting a good fight, whatever it is, and they're they're just trying to keep their locker, so to speak. And now they're going to where? Well, now they're on crutches. Now they're in a brace. Now they're they they can't they they can't you know go to the bathroom and clean themselves off when they're done because they can't use their arm and reach around or so be it like they've been stripped it's just like basic essential like essentials of just daily life and now they have to figure out and function uh kind of kind of their, on their daily life with a modified schedule and it's tough like even for me like i just had hip surgery two weeks or i guess two and a half weeks ago three weeks ago for myself from no plan injury and you and it kind of brings you back to earth as a coach to kind of realize like wow like Look how much of an inconvenience just going through this process is in my in my life, and just how frustrating it is to where now. But something it took me. 10 minutes to do, you know, fold my laundry. Now I can't even carry the laundry basket to my, to my living room to sit down and fold laundry. So, so, to, so to speak. So like the strain on just your everyday life and how stressful that can be. Imagine what that's doing for a kid that is coming from a socioeconomic background where it's not the greatest though. They don't know how to cope and handle stress. They're a thousand miles away from family. So they don't have anybody to connect to. they losing playing time they're worried about potentially keeping their, their role or their scholarship or so there's so many other factors you can look into. Uh, you have to be able to kind of empathize or sympathize with these kids and then basically realistically just keep their daily life as normal as possible based around the, their constraints.
0: Well, and I think that's everything that you mentioned there is exactly what I was talking about in that injury sense. It's, it's like they, they can literally go from a star player and this is part of the game, but it doesn't have to be treated in a way that a lot of schools are treated because it can be, you can go from a star player to everybody like worshiping you in a sense to being nothing, you know, in a sense of that you're not valued. You're not a part of the team. You're being, like you said, even in some schools where you were working at, it's like, they don't even let you work out with team. It's like, man, like, there's such a better way to set that up. And then you look at the, like the psychological side of healing and like the motivation to continue to do the rehab and get that player back. And if you want to just look at, if you don't even want to look at the human side and you're very analytical, you just want to look at the wins and losses side and how fast you're getting that player back, how much even that is going to help But You psychologically keep that kid motivated. You feel like he's a part of the team and part of the family. Like how much faster is that guy going to heal? You know, like there's so many. So many pieces there that I really enjoyed that you mentioned because uh, you, you watch it and you hear these stories and you're just like, man, that just should not be happening.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's just, you know, it's I would say it's the nature of the beast, but it's unfortunate. It's the reality we kind of deal with. And it's just, you know, again, like it goes back to the concept is, as a person, you just got to be able to critically think and evaluate the situation. You don't got to make drastic changes because a lot of times you were brought into the program a situation to improve the current system and you know it may not be perfect and they might may not be exactly what you want but the reality is if you get 85 75 90 percent of what you want the reality is as long as it's better than what they had before and it's not perfect to what you think should be but it's better than what they had before you're already improving the system even though it's not perfect it's already better And now you just got to continually stack incrementally good days going forward and it may be frustrating at times but you just got to kind of step back and realize the, the small wins and what you're trying to do because again it's not always going to be perfect but it's just how how often can i slowly incrementally improve the system and stack some wins together
0: yeah, coach. That's awesome. This, that's exactly what I want to hear in the, the return to play approach. I, I'm a big fan of that. I kind of want to transition you now to the, the, the rapid fire rounds of the podcast. And the, the first one is uh, your kind of your favorite books. And I, I would like to hear uh, in two regards. Um, let me know if this works for you. But one, your, your your favorite like life books, just your favorite books in general. And then two, if you, if you do have any return to play resources, uh, I think that'd be a great spot to mention this too, just to point people to.
1: Uh yeah, in terms of like just like personal books, I'll be honest. I I two, three years ago I kind of transitioned from like leadership books. I think it's a little overplayed and played out. I think it's a little more simple than people think it is. So like for me in terms of like reading, it's 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 more about just uh, to me, I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to comes to philosophy and things like that. So like, for me, some of my top books are Meditations, Letters of Letters of Stoic, uh, anything from like Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, things like that. Are uh, Nassim, Nassim Talib, some stuff with probability, uh, Antifragile, Black Swan, Barbell Strategy. Uh, Ran, uh, life of Randomness. And I, I think I just butchered that one. I just finished reading that one the other day. And just like some simple stuff just to kind of understand like systems. And that's kind of like what where I've kind of been here lately the last few years of my own personal life. And even uh, another one that kind of really changed how I, how I thought was probably two years ago when I read Principles by Ray Dalio. And I think it's kind of You know, there's usually kind of some trends in strength conditioning. I think that one's kind of because it's been talked about a lot on social media here in the last like six, eight months. So I think that one's gonna kind of making its rounds on social media. Everybody's kind of quoting and posting it, but it's what you do with it. Uh, Personally, I would say those are kind of some of my favorites. I'm kind of trying to refresh myself a little bit. I'm looking at my bookshelf now, but even uh, just kind of like I'm a little more introverted and quiet and kind of in my own kind of little world, so to speak, sometimes. So, like, I, like, even, like, just simple something simple, simple of, like, high school reading, like, Fight Club is still, like, one of my favorite books that I, like, that, like, I've read. Just, like, little simple stuff like that. Uh, from a return-to-place per- perspective, uh, people that I kind of really look to and kind of read is, uh, I wouldn't say in terms of, like, books or applications. I would say anything from Rob Panarello, who's been huge in my career, uh, anything he's done, because he has a ton of practical practical experience as a DPT and physio and as a strength coach. And then if you look at that, uh, then his background, he's done a great job over the years. And he's been a huge help in my life as a coach and kind of moving forward as a professional, uh, somebody I can kind of lean on. So anything he's read, read or wrote, uh, I think anything. Uh, Any, like, research, so, again, like, you look at, like, just, like, little things. I I, I can't sit here and say, though, there's just, like, this plethora of, like, information out there, you you got to kind of not a it piece it together. So like anything like sprint mechanics wise, like sprinting. So just simple like Charlie Francis, James Smith, uh, some of the early Alta stuff with Dan path I think some of their stuff now is kind of uh, a little redundant, but I would say early on when it was like really Dan Paff, Ch- uh, Chitty, and Young, and they were kind of heavily involved in what they were doing. I think it was very good. Uh, you look at some of the other guys that have put out quality content, uh, just understand being well-versed in like barbell, barbell work uh, uh, periodization, uh, being, uh, well-versed in kind of, you know, understanding, uh, Alv- Meals Meal's hierarchy, athletic development, and kind of understanding the foundational principles. And then you look at some of the other return to play stuff. I've pulled stuff from, uh, you know, different <laughs> it's different. It's hard to say. It's just, it's hard to say in terms of specifics, but in terms of like realistic, just staying up to date on research, you know, um, you know, like for me, Tim Hewitt, when it comes to ACLs, is one of the leading people in my research with the ACL work. And usually I've tried to, I think I've read it in one of his published studies and things like that. And I know he's got a book where a lot of it's put together into into, uh, into a hole and then kind of going from there and looking at different stuff. And like the biggest thing for me is when it comes to return to place, never turn a blind eye to any area. But to me, you got to kind of be open and being Available to think differently. I think if you try to keep yourself in in a in a tunnel of vision in terms of how you see things and do things, and not try to account for dis- different systems and constraints, I think you're going to find that you're going to you're going to kind of get stuck and hit and hit a roadblock or a ceiling, so to speak.
0: Well, that's awesome, Coach. And then the final question of the podcast, and this kind of goes off your philosophical love, and this is what I'm interested in is is when this coaching career is over and this return to play career is over, what do you kind of want your legacy to be throughout this whole thing?
1: Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You asked that one, especially when I looked at the notes is, you know, I, I've never truly thought about it because you know, you, it's the reality, the reality, the reality is each one of us individuals is so insignificant in the grand scheme, this grand scheme of things. Cause you know, at the end of the day is, somebody out there like there's always a bully bigger than you there's always somebody bigger better badder than you in the situation you're currently in you know as they say, when Olympic lifting, whatever you're warmer, whatever you're lifting, there's probably some 15 year old Asian girls warming up with your work weight. So I, I think it's being very realistic in terms of like who you are and where you're at and realizing to me personally that I would like to think that people know that I I, I gave a vested interest in, in the development of the profession, the people around me. And I wasn't afraid to uh, think critically, whether it was right, wrong or indifferent or uh, what what's best for the current situation? Not necessarily uh, idea idea where it's more uh, you know it's it's the best idea wins, and and you know whether that's kind of put a constraint or well not necessarily constraint but strains on relationships and friendships and professional professional relationships. If the idea is what's going to move us forward, and you know sometimes it's burnt me a little bit, sometimes it's got me in trouble, but I would hope to say like my legacy would be that. It's uh, that's, that's always trying to move the, move, move the idea of performance forward, no matter what was new, no matter what was needed, and just trying to do what's best. Uh, that's that's kind of how I look at it.
0: I love that. And I, when I read principles too, I, I love... That was that was my biggest takeaway from the whole thing, is the, it doesn't matter who suggests it. And, and it kind of is empowering as a young strength coach too, but it like, doesn't matter who suggests it. It's a, it's the best idea, if you're set up in a good program and a good culture, in a good society the best idea should win regardless of who suggests it so i love that think critically right wrong or indifferent that that, that's awesome i think that might be the title of the entire podcast but thank you for being on coach this is awesome
1: uh i appreciate you having me uh anything you ever need from me don't don't afraid to afraid to reach out you know i'm probably going to be wrong or somewhere off but if if i am i'll try to figure out the right answer and i'll I'll help out anywhere i
0: can awesome thank you guys for listening keep chopping wood
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.